You know that scripture there came up my heart is Ephesians 5. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. That's such a challenging scripture, you know. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. I mean, that, that's, that's really where it's out. That's really how Jesus lived his life. It was you know, part of the greatest commands for us to, to, you know, to love God with our heart, all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Paul said for us to imitate God. You know, so let, let's, let's, let's allow that to challenge us for us to, to learn how to grow in that and, and walk in that love. Amen. So glad you're here tonight. You know, we have uh, several guys are out on our, with Chariots of Light are out on a tour in the Ozarks and, and they're going from church to church with Dr. Savell and they're ministering, uh, I believe, in about four or five different churches. Uh, I believe it started last night and it goes all the way through Sunday night. And so it's interesting that they'll minister to all different types of people. And, and so let's pray for them because I know they're on the road and everything. So, Father, we thank you for those that are, uh, that are on this motorcycle tour with Chariots of Light and those that are part of uh, Next Level Men's Group. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your hand will be on them. Thank you for protecting them, Father. Thank you, Lord, that they're always in the right place at the right time. I thank you for giving wisdom or, or to the cars around them that they're, that they're always visual and able to be seen, Lord. We come against any attacks of the enemy that would try to cause accidents in and, and any way, Father. And we just thank you for the people that would come to know you over this week on this motorcycle tour, Father. We thank you for the lives that would be changed. We thank you for Dr. Savell for strengthening him, empowering him, equipping him, Father, and always giving him words and season to those that are weary. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 We understand you had an awesome time last month with Trey, and Trey awesome. Told, heard, heard he told quite a few stories and, and everything, and, um, and so anyway, it's, Trey is such an awesome, awesome minister, an awesome, awesome guy. You know, before I get into what I want to share with you tonight, let's, let's go over our vision of what we're about here, first Thursday of the month, and it's our vision of this. Our purpose is to create opportunities for the men of heritage to come together, connect, grow, get free, and go to the next level in life. Our attitude is this. We refuse to go back, give up, or plateau. We will rise and be the champions we're created to be. And so we've been talking about making of a champion. We're going to be talking about all year long. And, and so what is a champion? The starting point of becoming a champion is first realizing the key to being a... The key is... <laughs> let me start over. The starting point of becoming a champion first is realizing the key to being a person that God can use mightily. It is not based in fame, intellect, it's not magnetism, it's not skill, it's not ability to communicate, it's not wit nor stature, even money. It's all about character. So a, a, a person that's a champion is all about character. What does a person of character look like? And this is on your paper there, and you can read these after me. What does it step up? You know, be a man of action. Assume it is your job and your moment. Hate apathy, reject passivity, refuse to live as a spectator in life. Speak out. Silence in the midst of sin is a sin. Be courageous. Fear God, not man. Speak the truth in love. Stand strong. Don't give in when you're challenged, attacked, or criticized. Above all, refuse to compromise. Stay humble. Be vigilant against pride. Get the log out of your own eye. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Serve the king. Seek first his kingdom, his glory, his righteousness. Hope in the eternal and live for a greater reward. Amen. Amen. And so that's, that's what we're standing on. I, declare, I de- you know, encourage you to, to speak that over yourself. 
Just speak that over yourself. You know, before I get into what we're going to share tonight on uh, our topic tonight, I want to talk about you got to have heart. I, I got a joke for you. This is Noah in the 21st century. Now, anyone here in construction? You, you do construction. You ever had to work with a city? Anything? Okay, well, you really like this. Noah in the 21st century. And we thought we had problems. If Noah had lived in the United States in the last 10 years, the, the story may have gone something like this. And the Lord spoke to Noah and said, In one year, I'm going to make it rain and cover the whole earth with water until all flesh is destroyed. But I want you to save the righteous people and two of every kind of living thing on the earth. Therefore, I'm commanding you to build an ark. In fear and trembling, Noah took the plans, agreed to the building of the ark. Remember, said the Lord, you must complete the ark and bring everything aboard in one year. Exactly one year later, a fierce storm clouds covered the earth and all the seas of the earth went in to tumult. And the Lord saw that Noah was sitting in his front yard weeping. Noah, he shouted, where's the ark? Lord, please forgive me, cried Noah. I did my best, but there were some big problems. First, I had to get a permit for construction. And your plans did not meet the building codes. I had to hire an engineer firm to redraw the plans. Then I got into to a fight with OSHA over whether or not the ark needed a sprinkler system and approved flotation devices. Then my neighbor objected, claiming I was violating zoning ordinances by building the ark in my front yard, so I had to get a variance from the city planning commission. Then I had problems getting enough wood for the ark because there was a ban on cutting trees to protect the spotted owl. I finally convinced the U.S. Forest Service that I really needed the wood to save the owls. Because he's every, two of every animal. He's really getting the wood to save all the owls. He gotta... However, the fish and the wildlife service won't let me take the two owls. The carpenters formed a union and they went on strike. I had to negotiate a settlement with the National Labor Relations Board before anyone would pick up a saw or a hammer. Now I have 16 carpenters on the ark, but still no owls. When I started rounding up the animals, an animal rights group sued me. They objected to me taking only two of each kind aboard. This suit is pending. Meanwhile, the EPA notified me that I could not complete the ark without filing an environment impact statement on your proposed flood. They didn't take very kind to the idea that they had no jurisdiction over the conduct of the creator of the universe. Then the Army Corps of Engineers demanded a map of the proposed flood plan. So I just sent him the globe. <laughs> right now I'm trying to resolve a complaint filed with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission that I'm practicing discrimination by not taking atheists aboard. The IRS has seized my assets claiming that I'm building the ark in preparation to flee the country to avoid paying taxes. I just got a notice from the state that I owe them some kind of user tax and failed to register the ark as a recreation watercraft. And finally, the ACLU got the courts to issue an injunction against further construction of the ark, saying that since God is flooding the earth, it's a religious event, and therefore it's unconstitutional. I really don't think I can finish the ark for another five or six years, so Noah waited. The sky began to clear, the sun began to shine, and the seas began to calm. A rainbow arched across the sky. Noah looked up, hopefully. You mean you're not going to destroy the earth, Lord? He says, no. He said, sadly, I don't have to. The government already has. <laughs> so, it's not against our government. I just, it was just kind of funny. Yeah, I've had a, doing some construction here and permits and stuff it's pretty 
interesting. Some of the things you have to, yeah, I don't want to get my soapbox on that one, but I'll stick to what we need to talk about tonight. Anyway, I sure do love you guys and I appreciate y'all coming out. And because I believe as, as a church of men in, in this church, we're going to the next level. You know, I've been serving, you know, on this journey since 1993, um, and it's been, it's been an amazing journey. Um, I, I didn't do anything perfect. I uh, haven't made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, went through a lot of difficult things. Um, you know, a little, I, I mean, standing up here to be able to minister to men, knowing the challenges that I've, I've had to overcome. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I'm doing now. A lot of people told me I couldn't do because, I mean, after all, I mean, I, you know, I'm happily married now with an amazing, with an amazing wife. God's restored my life, but also if I look back, that in the last since 1993, I, I've been through two divorces. I've 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 battled addictions. Was addicted to pornography. Faced a lot of challenges, a lot of fears, a lot of insecurity. But I, I, I look back, my life has always been about there's another level. Wherever I'm at right now, there's another level. Whatever you might be going through right now, there's, there's another level. You know, I, I look back and I was talking to someone the other day. I, I remember, you know, where God's brought my life. I, I mean, I, I look back to, you know, 1992 and 1991 and, and uh, the year I graduated. And I, and I look at that in 1991 and I, I, mean, I think about that. I was like, man... I've gone from running from the police, being chased, to doing what I'm doing now. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> but there's always another level where you are, and we're all on a, we're all on a journey. We're all on a, on a pathway of what God has for us. And, and my encouragement to you is never give up and never stop pursuing God. No matter what you face, the enemy, his main tactic is to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. Always. That, that's, there's no other. He, this is the enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Only. He only that's, that's the only thing he wants to do. From the very, you heard me talk about this past Sunday, about our position in God. That man was already created in God's image, but yet what did the enemy come to do? Try to deceive man that he wasn't in his image. And so, so my encouragement to you is, is don't allow him to steal any more from you. Don't allow him to destroy any more from you. And if he has destroyed, hey, let's go to the next level. Let's go to the next level. Let's go to the next level. Because there's so much more in you than what you realize. If I knew what was in me years ago, I'd been like, wow, that was in me? I've even, you know, Tommy and different ones have seen me grow in this role that I've been in. I, you know, some of you heard me say when I first started pastoring, I'd only preached four times in my life. That was in 1997. And four of those, four, uh, two of those times were, were uh, at an intercessory meeting with five people. And um, the other one was at a homeless shelter and it was a transient service. So they had to listen to me because they wanted to eat. So, <laughs> so, so I had a captive audience. <laughs> You know, I, I remember. I remember the the second time I I preached at this homeless shelter, and and um and I'm standing in the baggage of the Union Gospel Mission downtown Fort Worth off of Lancaster. I think this is before they remodeled, and it was like a little chapel set up, and and um, there was an aisle down the middle, and there was these double doors, and I'm standing there nervous, trying to preach, and this lady, 
comes in and she slams open the door and she goes, I'm Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> I was like, you're not Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> she walks down the aisle and, and I'm going, what do I do? <laughs> and, and the guy, the one of the leaders that was with me and the two other guys named Eddie Richard and, and a guy named Gary and they look at me and they're just laughing and I'm going, I don't know how to cast a devil out yet. I don't know how to yet. I just started Bible school. I don't know how to do this yet. And, and anyway, that was the fourth time I ever preached. And um, and so uh, so anyway, so it's so it's interesting to to see how um, God has the ability to take to you a next level and and grow in life. Amen. I've got some stories. Wow. Never a dull moment in ministry. Hallelujah. Serving God. Jeremiah 29, 11. Read this to you. You don't need to turn there. For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans of peace. Amplified says, for welfare and peace and not for evil to give you hope in your final outcome. Establish in your heart every day one that God has thoughts about you. What does that mean? God's got a purpose for you. You know... As I, as I go through tonight, and the, the topic I'm dealing with tonight is you've got to have heart. You know, when I came in tonight and uh, walked over here earlier and turned on some lights, you know, I, I was seeing purpose in action. What do I mean by that? You know, every light bulb that you have, see, uh, that you have it, it, has, it has a purpose. You know, whether it's on or it's off, it has a purpose. It has, it has a unique purpose, but it never will never fulfill its purpose until it's something is infused with it. You know, the, the light bulbs were, were still light bulbs, whether they were on or off, but it wasn't until I hit the switch, until current flowed through it, until power flowed through it, until something flowed through it. So we all have a purpose. But what I want to ask you is, is what's fueling your purpose? What's fueling your purpose? What fuels this to reach its purpose is electricity. And the thing that will cause you to reach your purpose and fulfill your purpose and further discover your purpose is going to be passion. You've you got to have heart. If, you, if you're ever going to do anything successful, whether it's, it, it, it's in God, it's going to, it's going to require passion. You know, everyone, you look throughout scripture, um, whether we're talking about Abraham or we're talking about David, the very thing that's going to cause them to fulfill the purpose was going to be passion. Passion is what's going to fuel your life. Passion is what fuels your life. Passion is the ingredient to get the job done. Passion will fuel your success. There's a lot of people that have good ideas and great ideas, but those ideas that are good, and the ideas that are great, the only way they'll ever be accomplished if there's passion connected to it. Passion connected to it. And see, this works in the negative or it works in the positive. You know, I've seen this happen. And whatever you're passionate about, you will get it. You will get it. You're, you're probably married to the person that you're married to because something attracted you. There was some sort of passion there. There was something that caused you to take another step to go in the direction of that spouse, right? That's right. Right? Yeah. Come on now. 
Or maybe the girl you shouldn't have been with a long time ago. There was a passion leading you, and it necessarily wasn't necessarily a good passion. <laughs> it, it, it was what we call lust. <laughs> but you know what? It was driving you in a certain direction, right? We, we see, see, passion will drive you, like I said, negative or positive. Just, act, just ask the addict. You know, uh, you know, my, my, my son wouldn't be ashamed of me talking about this, but son Corey, you know, he, he was an alcoholic and he's been, he's been free now for over two years, clean for two years and God's using him in amazing things and to watch him preach and teach to young people last week in, in Missouri and watch him do amazing things and, and it's just awesome. And, but, but, but I, I watched him how he had no money, he had no job, but somehow he got alcohol. Somehow, I, I don't know how he got, I mean, I'm like, you have no job, you, but you still get it. We, we take everything away from you. We, you. You are in our house and we see you. you. You don't leave the house, but somehow I'll find in a bag in your room six, box, six bottles of vodka. How, how did you get it? Did you... You and, and so, but the addict, they'll do anything, you know, and they'll, they'll go sell blood. They'll, they'll go do different things. They'll steal things. They'll rob things. Why? Because something is driving them right. a passion to get what's in their heart. Yes, sir. See, an addict, they, oh, they, 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 they think the purpose is, is just getting high, the, the next high. The next high. That's my prayer. If I get, just get the next high. They're not worried about life. They're not worried about, uh, about anything else. It's just like, just get my next high. You know, and there's something about alcohol and there's something about substances that people don't realize. Is, is that when you start taking those substances, I'm taking a little side trail here, but just following just my heart. When you start introducing yourself to those substances, what happens is your brain stops producing things. You know, something in the center of your brain, and it's really, they call it, they don't really know what to call it. They call it your happiness. <laughs> and, and what it is, is, is when, you're, when you're young, or you're a child, or you're, you're a parent, and you look, at, you look at your child, or you see a child on a swing or in the park, and all of a sudden, you know what, it just makes you smile. Or you walk outside, and it's just a bright, sunny day, and just something, man. But what happens with an addict is, is their body they, they no longer have that anymore because they're, they're, the body isn't producing anymore because now the substance is producing it. And so therefore, nothing else ever makes them ha- happy. And so, so with that, you need to start, we need to start fueling ourselves with the right things that we're going to produce the happiness in our lives. Because we all have a purpose. We all have a purpose. There's not one person in here that's void of a God-ordained purpose. And it might not be standing behind a pulpit, but you're created for a unique purpose. A unique purpose. And we've been talking about Nehemiah in this, and Nehemiah was a man that had heart. You've got to have heart. You've got to have heart. If you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be a successful husband, you've got to have heart. If you're going to be a successful father, you've got to have heart. You're going to be a minister, you've got to have heart. Whatever you do, you're going to have to have your heart behind it 100% is not just okay well I'm just I'll give God 50% and then I'll give this no I got to give it all is it's your spouse is the same way it's got to be 100% your, your children it's not just I'm going to be a part-time parent I'm going to it's going to be 100% everything we do it's going to be 100% if I'm going to do if I'm going to serve in the church you know what it's going to be 100% if I'm going to be a part of a church it's going to be 100% 
And as you choose to be and have heart in the things that God has called you to and, and, and commissioned you to do, you'll start seeing success and you'll start seeing your life go to another level, in your life to another level. Nehemiah was a great leader. Nehemiah, he had desire and a sense of purpose. And it was his heart to do something about the things that were broken down in Jerusalem. You're talking about leadership. President Truman defined leadership as this, as the ability to get men to do what they don't want to do and like it. Let me say that again. Leadership is the ability to get men to do what they don't want to do and like it. Why? Because a person that's passionate realizes when you're passionate, it's contagious. You know, you know it, it, and also negativity is contagious. You know, you, you, you've ever talked to, heard somebody say, well, they just have this air about them. That it just, just bring me down. You know, and it's the same thing with, 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 with passion. Passion is contagious. And passion, when you're, you know, Rick, man, Rick is passionate. Eric, when I look at you, man, you're, you are just passionate, Eric. And you just walk in, I see your smile. You know what? And just your smile is contagious. You know, and I just, see, I just see that. And so with that is when you're passionate about something, it causes other people to come up. It causes other people to rise up. It causes other people to do things that they might, may not normally do. Just think about this with Nehemiah. The walls were broken down for over 152 years. 152 years these walls were broken down. Nehemiah wasn't, wasn't 152 years old. He, didn't, he had never seen the city. He had never been there. He lived in a whole other place, enslaved and captive by the people that had taken over Jerusalem. <clears throat> and and so, so with that, but yet, but think about this. None of the people in where the, that were there in the walls weren't doing anything. They weren't doing anything about it. They were complacent. And the people were apathetic about the ruined walls. And if we're not careful... When you, we just put up with things and just put up with things, then you get complacent about it. It's kind of like, you know, your, it's kind of like maybe your house or your car. You know, you, you, you get a new car and, and when you first get that car, man, you want to clean that car. You, you know, you'll park in the back of the parking lot because you don't want anybody to ding your door. And people, man, I'm telling you, people make me mad. Ding my truck. I'm like, oh, I got back to my, hey, man, big ding. I was like, did you perfectly like slam it open? But, but when you get that car and you're like, man, I want to I, I treat this good. I, and then you, you start cleaning it and, and you're cleaning it. And over a period of time, you know, like you leave that in the car and then you leave that in the car. Or maybe it's, it's, it's the garage. You, you take the time and you clean out your garage and all of a sudden you, you get busy and you have that and you have this and just little by little. Cleaning your house is little by little, little by little. He's like, oh, it's okay. And next thing you know, you don't even notice the dirt. Why? Because you just, you're, I'm just going through life. I'm just going through life. And that's how the children of Israel like. They were just putting up, well, this is the way it's always been, so this is the way it will always be. But nothing's ever changing. Nothing, but yet God's people had a purpose, but yet they had no heart. So it took a man named Nehemiah. To bring, come bring heart. And think, Nehemiah showed up in this town, and within seven days, he had a full crew. Had a full crew and built the wall in 52 days. 
So think about that. So in less than 60 days from the time he showed up, they had a finished wall where it was broken down and for 152 years. What can a man of passion do that can cause other people that weren't doing anything for years? That's what a leader does. It's the ability to cause men to do what they wouldn't want to normally do and like it. See, he charged them. Why? Because all of a sudden, Nehemiah started giving them vision, giving them purpose. And they started getting passionate. They started getting passionate. Amen. Nehemiah didn't sit back and wait for someone else to do something. He became the somebody that would do something. He became the somebody that would do something. See, the best leaders are leaders that get involved. You want to be a good leader? Get involved. Don't wait till you're entitled a leader before you get involved. People, a lot of times, are sitting back waiting for someday. No, no, get involved. And think about great leaders that, that challenge people. I, I was thinking um, and came across this one person, General MacArthur. You go ahead and put that Time Magazine picture up. Go ahead and put the next one up. Now, MacArthur here, during World War II, he was personally humiliated because the government, the U.S. government, <clears throat> told him and, and really wanted him to secretly flee from the Philippines to Australia. And he, and he was upset about it because he didn't want to leave his men. He didn't want to leave his men because he felt like he was betraying his men. But yet he had the statement that he's known for in his speech before he left. He said, what? I shall return. He was like the original Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. Yeah. And he said, I, I shall return. So he goes, he goes to Australia and there he spent years directing the Allied war efforts. Then eventually he led, led him back to the, he was led back to the Philippines to personally oversee the liberation of the islands. During the invasion of the Philippines, you can show that next picture. Look at that. During the invasion of the Philippines, MacArthur was personally there and he led forces to storm the beaches. He wasn't sitting back somewhere. He wasn't, he didn't stay in Australia. No, this is a safe place where, where his government, where the, where the government wanted. No, he wanted to be. And he led, he walked. In the wall, from the water all the way on and stormed the beaches. And stormed the beaches. You know, he had a phrase that says, there's no substitute for victory. It's one of those famous quotes. There's no substitute for victory. But he was a leader and he was a man of passion because he had a purpose. People that get involved always have heart. People always have heart. Nehemiah had a heart about the wall. He had a heart about the people, and he had a heart about God's glory. The biggest thing that I believe, believe can hinder us from fulfilling our purpose, as it pertains you've got to have heart, is too often our heart is focused on self. We're, we're so focused on self. We're so focused on what we want, what we need, what we should have. But yet, Nehemiah, he was focused on a city that he didn't even live in. But it was important to him. He had heart about the wall. He had a heart about the city. Why? Because it was his legacy. It was his heritage. It was his community. 
Don't think that your decisions don't make, don't make a difference. Every decision you make. Every decision you make. That's why in Deuteronomy 30, it's a famous scripture we talk about. I put before you death and life, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. What? So that you and your descendants may live. Meaning the choices that I make will affect my descendants. So you choose to have heart. You choose to live with purpose. You choose to live with passion. He was motivated because it was his heritage. He knew as long as the walls were broken down, the city had no defense, had no securities, and and the thieves could come in and steal anytime they wanted to. You have a part to play. You have a part to play. But yet human nature is generally just motivated by its own needs and not necessarily a care for others. But he had a care for the people. Now, he was their fellow workers. He wasn't their boss. He, worked, he was up on the wall just with them. It was so much so that there were these two leaders, so to speak, Sam Ballard and Tobiah, and we're going to talk about them more in, in, in future months. But they would come to him, and they would talk about, the priest wants to come see you. The priest wants to come, the, the priest, the, the leaders want to come see you. You know what? And he, he was like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm still with my hammer, weapon in one hand, hammer in the other, meaning I'm not getting down off this wall. Because I'm not leaving my men. I'm not leaving them for them to do all the work. He, was, he wasn't just their boss. He was their fellow worker. And, and he had such a connection with the people that in, in Nehemiah chapter 3, it's kind of one of the most boring chapters in, in, that, in that whole chapter. It, it's boring because all it does is lift, list the people's names and where they lived. I mean, he knew their names and where they lived. Do you know every person you worked with their names and their address, their personal address? Besides, they live in Fort Worth. No, he knew exactly what, what street they lived on, where, where they lived. Knew them personally. And these were all the people that were building this wall. <laughs> he knew them by name because he cared about the people. But in our society, though, it, it, we can be so, so selfish and, and, and there's a story that it's, it's kind of disheartening, and it, but it really, I believe, really paints a picture of society because we, we see it in, 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 so many, in so many facets. Let me make this statement first. Don't be selfish because it limits you and it will limit your future. Talking about the selfishness and just human nature. In 1964... There was a lady by the name of Catherine Ven- Venices, I believe is what her name is. Go ahead and put that picture up there. And this is a famous story um, because, and this actually was, I'm reading an article from the New York Times in 1964. Now, this lady was, was murdered and she was killed and 38 people saw it but yet didn't do anything about it. It was on the streets in New York. Actually, in, a, actually in a, an upper scale part of New York City. And it says this. It says, more than a half an hour, 38, over a half an hour, 38 respectable law-abiding citizens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks. Twice the sound, <clears throat> twice the sound of their voices <clears throat> and the sudden glow of their bedroom lights interrupted him and frightened him off. Each time he returned, sought her out and stabbed her again. Not one person telephoned the police during the assault. One witness called after the woman had already dead, was already dead. That was two weeks ago today, 
But Assistant Chief Inspector Frederick Lucen, in charge of the borough uh, um, for over 25 years, was shocked. He can give a matter-of-fact recitation. The he can recite of all the uh, many uh, the of many murders, but this one really baffled him because good people failed to do something good. As we re reconstructed the crime, he said the assailant had three chances to kill the woman during a 35-minute period of time. This is what the police said happened. It started at 3:20 a.m. 28-year-old Catherine was killed was called Kitty by almost everyone in the neighborhood. She was returning. She had turned off the lights of her car, locked the door, and started a walk 100 feet to her entrance. <clears throat> the entrance to the apartment is at the rear of the building because the front is rented to retail stores. At night, the quiet neighborhood is shrouded in the slumbering darkness that marks most residential areas. She noticed a man at the far end of the lot near a seven-story apartment. It gives the address. She halted. Then nervously, she heaped up. She heaped up Austin Street toward Lefferts Boulevard, where there's a call box to the 102nd police precinct. And then she yelled, he stabbed me. She got as far as the street light in front of a bookstore before the man grabbed her. She screamed. Lights went on in a 10-story apartment at 82 Austin Street, which faces a bookstore. The window slid open and voices punctured the early morning stillness. She screamed, God, he stabbed me. Please help me. Please help me. From one of the upper windows in the apartment, a man called down, let the girl alone. The assailant looked up at him, shrugged, and walked down the street towards a white sedan parked a short distance away. But yet she struggled to her feet. Lights went out. The light, they turned the light out. The killer returned to Miss Genevieve. Now it's trying to make her way around the side of the building by the parking lot to get her apartment. The assailant stabbed her again. I'm dying, she shrieked. I'm dying, she shrieked. I'm dying. Then a city bus passed. Windows were open again and lights went on in many apartments. The assailant got into his car and drove away. She staggered to her feet. A city bus, the Q10, the Lefferts Boulevard line to Kennedy International Airport, passed it at 3.35 a.m. The assailant returned by then. Miss Genevieve had crawled into the back building where the freshly painted brown doors to the apartment house um, held out, hoping, hoping of safety. The killer tried the first door. She wasn't there. At the second door... Uh, he saw her slumped on the floor. There he stabbed her a third time fatally. It was 3.50 by the time the police received their first phone call. From a man who was a neighbor. In two minutes, they, went, they were at the scene. The police were there in two minutes. The neighbor, which is a 70-year-old woman, and another woman were the only person on the streets. Nobody else came forward. The man explained that he had called the police after much deliberation. He had phoned a friend in Nassau County for advice and then had crossed the roof of the building to the apartment of the elderly woman to get them to make the call. But he said, I didn't want to get involved, he told police. The suspect was arrested. Six days later, the police arrested Winston Mosley, a 29-year-old business machine operator, and charged him with homicide. Mosley had no previous record. He's married and has two children. When they questioned him, he also confessed to killing Miss Annie Mae Johnson uh, the year before. And then a year before that, another lady named Barbara Kralik um, in Springfield Gardens last July. In Kralik's case, the police are holding this other person guilty for it. The police stressed how simple it would have been for them to get in touch with them. Just a phone call would have done that. And then it goes on and it says they interviewed each person. And most of the people said, well, I just thought it was just a lover's spat. Then one said, one person said, well, I was, I was tired and I just went, out, went back to bed. Um, several of them, uh, but this is interesting. It says, we went to the window to see what was happening, he said, but the light from our bedroom made it difficult to see the street. 
The wife was apprehensive. I put out the light, and we were able to see better. Asked why they didn't call the police, she shrugged and replied, I don't know. A man peeked out from a slight opening in the doorway to his apartment and rattled off an account of the killer's second attack. So he saw it, but he didn't do anything about it. Why hadn't you called the police? He goes, I was tired, and I went back to bed. At 4.25 a.m., when the ambulance arrived for the body of this lady, it drove off. Then a solemn detective said, then all the people came out. Didn't do anything. But think about how often we become complacent in life. And we're, not, and we're so focused on ourselves that we're not focused on other people. Focused. See, he had a heart for the people. He had a heart for the wall. And he had a heart for God's kingdom. You know, and, and Nehemiah, his heart for God's house, it's, you get to the end of, end of Nehemiah chapter 13. You know, he's gone away for about two years. And he comes back. And everything that they had put in place... By two years later, they had let go back the way it was before. In two years, everything they established went back to where it was before. And he got so mad. <laughs> it said that he cursed them. It said he threw stones at them. He punched them. And it said he pulled their hair. <laughs> That's what it says. He was upset. Why? Because not, not because, because he was a man of, of heart. He was a man of character. And it wasn't about him. Because there was people that were, were abusing him and, and, and treating him bad through his whole time, but yet he never lashed out to them. So when he attacked them, it wasn't because they were attacking him. It was because they had compromised God. Amen. And he was passionate about God. He was passionate about what, what God wanted to do and what God wanted to fulfill. And I see the same thing with Jesus. Man, a man of love, a man of compassion. He wept over cities. He, he, he looked at people and wept over them because they were like sheep that didn't have a shepherd. He, he wept when he realized the loss of, of different people and loved ones that he had. But yet it didn't stop him from going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and putting them in their place. You know, he was a man of love and a man of compassion, but it didn't stop him when he saw what was going on in God's house where he made a whip of cords and went in and he flipped over the tables. It was a, he, he, they, Jesus was a man of compassion. Nehemiah was a man of compassion. He had heart, had a heart for God's people, had a heart for God's city, and had a heart for God's kingdom. Hallelujah. There was a great, there was a great drawback of having heart for the city, for the people, and for, for God. It makes you vulnerable. Passion makes you vulnerable because you might do things that might not be popular. You might not do what everyone else does. You, you, you might not go with the rest of the crowd. It's a drawback to passion because it, it causes you to be recognized by other people. People might be offended by your passion. People not, might agree with your passion. What, it, what, is it, what does vulnerable mean? It opens up your heart to, for people to hurt you. It opens up your heart. And that, a lot of times, you know, Nehemiah opened himself up for one going there and having this passion. What if no one followed him? I believe Nehemiah would have built that wall himself. Why? Because he knew the wall must be built. Whether anyone else came with him or not, I, I'm, I'm going to build this wall. Come on now. That's what a man of passion does. You've got to have heart. What caused David to take down Goliath? It was passion. You know, he's, you know he's, he's keeping watch over his father's sheep and he, he, he is doing what he's supposed to do and he goes and he's bringing his brother's cheese and bread and he, he, he gets there and he, all of a sudden this Philistine 
this nine foot tall come, guy comes out and, and all of a sudden is declaring these things. And when he hears them declared, it said they run back to their tents. And so David had talked to his brothers and it was like, what's, what's going on here? And he was like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? I mean, who is this one that doesn't have a covenant with God? And, and David's talking to his brothers and, and he said, is there not a cause? Is there not a purpose? Is, is there's not, there's a reason I've got to stand. See, David had a passion. And a leader is going to have passion. He had purpose. Passion is what brought Goliath down. It was his heart to, because he loved his people. He loved his people. He loved his nation. He loved God. And everyone was running back to their tents. David was running towards the battle. Jesus went to the cross. It said, for the joy that was set before him. What does that mean? For the intense desire. What is joy? It's a, it, that word, it, it, for the joy that was set before him, is for the intense desire. The intense desire caused him to endure the cross. You've got to have heart. You've got to have heart. Jesus had to have heart. Why? Because he loved God. He loved people. He loved the world. And he loved his father. You've got to have heart. Nehemiah loved the wall. He loved the people. He loved God. Jesus loved the people, loved the world, and loved God. Hallelujah. It was Jesus' passion to desire to redeem each one of us. You've got to have heart. Let your passion fuel your dreams. Let your, let your passion cause you to connect with people around you. And let your passion cause you to do something great for the kingdom of God. Because you were made for kingdom purpose. You were made for kingdom purpose. But you've got to have heart. It's not, there's, no, there's no halfway. No halfway. You gotta have heart. You gotta have heart. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. With all your heart. God tells you to do the most smallest thing. Do it with all your heart. God tells you to, to you know, tomorrow there's someone you work with, and and the Lord says, I want you, I want you to, I want you to bless them with ten dollars. Don't do five. <laughs> Do whatever God's telling you, do it 100%. Wherever he's telling you to, do, to go, do it 100%. Because it's in that, you, you'll, you will rise and be the leader that God's called you to be. You will be the husband that you're called to be. You'll be the father that you're called to be. Do it with heart. Do it with heart. And let people see your heart. I tell you. Love your community. Love your church. Love your church. Whether it's this one or you go to another church, love it. <laughs> Give 100% to it. Hallelujah. you got to have heart. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for you completing that which you began in each one of us. Thank you for heart. Thank you for passion. Thank you for fueling us with passion. Passion. Hallelujah. Filling us with passion. Hallelujah. Stir a passion within us. Stir a passion within us. Help us to become passionate about what you're passionate about. What you're passionate about, Lord. Reveal to us what you're passionate about. Just as, as Nehemiah got word of the walls being broken down. I believe that was you working in Nehemiah's heart. 
Where's God at work? Where's God at, where's God at work? I, I remember Tommy, uh, Tommy, we talk about this. There's a book that he goes through and I've gone through experiencing God. And, and one of the things in that book it, he talks about is where's God moving? Where's God working? I mean, what, 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 don't, try to, don't necessarily try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to go out and necessarily always do your own thing. But what, what, where's God working right now? Where's God working right now? Because I believe Nehemiah, there was something going on, and I believe God may have tried to go to other people in Jerusalem, other people. I, I, I don't believe Nehemiah was the only one. I, I like with it, Happy Caldwell was a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas, a church of thousands of people. Now, he handed the church over a number of years ago uh, to someone else, and, and um, he, he says, you know, God told me, he goes, you were my seventh pick. And, and, the, and the Lord actually revealed to him all the different people that to give him the assignment that God had given him for Little Rock. And he said, you were my seventh pick. And he goes, man, I feel bad. <laughs> How come I wasn't the first one? He goes, it doesn't matter if you were the first one. He goes, he goes, he goes I'm always speaking to somebody to do something. And a lot of times we're, we're, we're like, well, somebody else will do it. No, maybe you're the one. You're the one. You're the one. What's God talking to you about? What's he speaking to you about? Because whatever it is, it's, it's, he's wanting to lead you in a place where he's working, what he wants to do. Hallelujah. Work in us, Father. Work in us to see where you want us to work. See where you want us to be involved in. Father, help us not to be spectators. Help us not to be spectators. Where we just watch the world go by. Where we just go through life. Just going through the motions. But help us be fueled by passion. That, that you place something within us that we know that's from you. Something that we can't get away from. Something that we can't put down. A baton that we can't put down. But a baton that we will run the rest of our life with. Until we complete everything you've called us to do. We thank you for it, Father. Thank you for it, Father. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm. You're so faithful. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Everyone stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.